Well, welcome everyone. I'm glad to have everyone here. I hope you guys had a great 4th of July. Um, hope that you didn't stay up too terribly late, but I'm glad that you came to church. And um, I pray that the uh, fireworks that you set off last night were both safe and enjoyable. Um, but uh, this morning, we're not doing any fireworks. We're doing Jesus in the Bible. You ready to do that? Let's, uh, let's go ahead and just pray real quick over this morning's sermon. I know we've already prayed twice, but we're going to do it again because I need it. Father, we need you this morning. I need you this morning. I pray against the enemy this, this morning. And I ask, Father, that you would move upon me, your servant, to speak your word in truth, to rightly handle the word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would help me because uh, it's not my words that your people need. They need your words. And so I pray that you would use me as your vessel to speak to your people, to equip them for the work of the ministry that you are doing in them and through them. I pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' praise. All right, so a couple of, week, a couple of years ago, I preached a sermon and it was a little bit like this sermon, actually. And someone came up to me afterward and, and said, Jamie, listen, I, I, like, I like you. Uh, I find that you're too erudite. And I, and I shook their hand and I said, thank you. And then later afterwards, Googled the word erudite because I had no idea what that meant, which I misspelled, by the way. And Google let me know that erudite means someone of, of high learning, someone who knows a lot of things. And I thought, well, that's ironic, isn't it? Here I am on Google, uh, and and you know, I, and and still I'm I'm scratching my head, thinking, is I'm not sure what to do with that criticism. You know, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? But Paul told Timothy that you were to rightly handle the word of truth. And as a pastor, my prayer is every Sunday that I get to serve you with the word that I would rightly handle the word of truth. Okay, because. Unlike Reese's peanut butter cup, there's a right way and there's a wrong way to handle the word of truth. And if I handle it the wrong way, that's of no benefit to you. And so I need to handle the word of truth the right way. And so my prayer is this morning, as is every Sunday, that I would rightly handle God's word because we got some theological work to do this morning. Uh, And so I don't want you to doze off. That's why I served you coffee when you came in. Uh, But I'll do my best to not be to not come across as erudite, whatever that means, um, but to come across as practical and real because theology isn't here as much as it's here and here. So we need, theology's fun. At least it is for me anyway. So here we are. We're going to ask a couple of questions. Ephesians chapter 2, we've learned thus far that the book of Ephesians is about, uh, thus far in Ephesians, we've learned that we're talking about the church. We're talking about God's people. We, we learned this last week. We were in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and we learned there that when Paul uses this phrase, household of God, in Ephesians chapter 2, I think verse 19, he's referring to the church. The household of God is the church. So what we're talking about this morning through the rest of chapter 2 is the church. And so a couple of things have become clear so far in the book of Ephesians. One, that the church, whatever that is, it it consists of people. It's people. The church is people. It's not a building. You understand? It's people. Specifically, the church is God's people. Christians, followers of Jesus, those that he saved from destruction and set about fulfilling his purposes, his people. The church is Christians. 
So we know that much. But is that all that it is? Is the church just God's... So when you, who are a follower of Jesus, get together with friends who are followers of Jesus on the 4th of July, are you doing church? So what is the church? If not a gathering of a couple of believers over coffee or over dinner, if that's not the church, then what is the church? How would you know one if you've seen it? Or can, is it something that you see? And so we ask these questions. We ask, what is the church? What are, what are the most basic elements of the church? If you had to boil them down to the most fundamental things, what are the fundamental things that define a church? For example, is it location dependent? So do you have to meet somewhere? Can you do church in a home? If so, can you do church in a bar? Or if so, can you do church without a location? What about uh, virtual space, like the internet? Can you have an online church? We're in a time now where I think we need to be able to clearly define what is the church. Because we have Bible studies, which is good and awesome, and I suggest them. But is that a church? And we have conferences, which are good, and I recommend them. But is that a church? When you get together with a whole bunch of people and you sing some praise to Jesus and somebody preaches the word, is that church? Are you doing church or is that a conference? What's the difference? So we need to think about this because I think sometimes we assume we know what the church is. And I'm not sure that we have de- we've defined what the church is either by just maybe our upbringing or our culture or uh, just our experience. Or maybe we, have we defined it from the scriptures? What does the Bible say is the church. And so we're going to query the text and find out an answer to the question, what is the church? So let's go to the first place the church is mentioned in the entire Bible. Does anyone know where this is? I'll give you a hint. It's Matthew 16, okay? That's not a hint. That's the actual answer. Matthew chapter 16. Go ahead and point your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. If you don't, didn't bring a Bible to church, that's okay. We provide one for you in the pew ahead of you, uh, unless you're sitting in the front row then you have to bring your Bible to church. Otherwise, if you don't own a Bible, then this one's on the house. You can take that one there. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 16. That's page 567 if you're using a pew Bible. Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to begin reading at verse 13. This is the very first time the word church appears in the Bible. Matthew 16, beginning of verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Son of Man, by the way, is just Jesus' favorite term for himself. It's actually not a reference to his human humanity. It's a reference to his divinity, but that's for another sermon. Verse 14. And they say, some say you're John the Baptist. Other people say that you're Elijah. Still other people, they call you Jeremiah or just one of the prophets. Verse 15, he asked them the most important question any person has ever asked of anyone. Verse 15, who do you say that I am? That's the most important question you'll ever be asked. You're answering that question with the why you came to church today. You're answering that question with what you're going to do with your life tomorrow. You're answering that question every day of your life. Who do you say Jesus is? He a good teacher? Is he God Almighty? Who do you say that I am? And so he asks this of the disciples. And verse 16, Simon Peter replies, 
You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17, and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. There's the first time that word appears in the Scriptures. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Four things real quick from this passage. The word church is... Uh, in the original language, is ecclesia, which means congregation or assembly. Four things I want to point out from Jesus' words in verse 18. Jesus says, the first thing I notice here, I will build my church. So whatever the church is, whatever definition we put to it, it belongs to Jesus. Jesus says, it's mine. The church belongs to me. It's mine. That's the first thing I notice. Second thing I notice from this is Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build it. So whatever the church is, whatever definition we put to it, Jesus says he is building his church. It belongs to him, and he is the one building it. Jesus is building the church. So you might think that the pastor builds the church. He doesn't. You might think that the handsome praise and worship leader builds the church. He doesn't. It is Jesus who builds the church. Third thing. I will build my church. I will build my church. The church is something, whatever definition we put to it, is something that's being built. Something that's being built. We're going to come back to the building part of what the church is in a, in, a, in a moment. But for now, I just want to point out what Jesus says. The church is something that is being built. It isn't a building, but it requires building. Does that make sense? It isn't a building, but it requires building. Like an organization, right? You can, you can say you're building an organization, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that organization is or has a building. You're, you're building the organization. Jesus says the same thing. I will build my church. But he doesn't say that the church is a building. So we, we get that clear. But he is saying that whatever this thing is, different elements are being brought together to make this thing, this ecclesia, this church. Different elements brought together by Jesus, building his church. Fourth thing. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. So the church belongs to Jesus. Jesus is building the church, and he's building it on the rock. Now, in this, this here, Matthew 16, there's a little bit of wordplay going on here in verse, uh, what is it, 19 maybe? Let's see, uh, verse 19. And I tell you, you are Peter, 18. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. There's a little bit of wordplay going on here. We missed this in the original language. In the original language, in Greek, that's what... This is written, originally written in. The word Peter and the word rock sound the same. Okay, so Jesus is doing some wordplay here. Which, by the way, I, I, is anyone else amused that Jesus uses wordplay? I just think that's cool that he uses wordplay. But he's, he says, on this, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So the question is, what, what in the world is the rock that Jesus is referring to? If you're Roman Catholic, the Roman Catholics teach that Peter himself 
His office is the rock upon the, which the church is built because the, the, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that Peter was the first pope and so that Jesus is building his church on the papacy. And so the rock that Jesus is referring to there is the, is the, is the pope, the papacy. Evangelicals, we disagree with that interpretation. Here's what evangelicals believe. We believe that the rock that Jesus is referring to in that verse is not Peter the man, but the revelation that God gave to Peter, namely the revelation in verse 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so the rock upon which Jesus is building his church is the the self-revelation of God in the human, in the person, and in the work of Jesus. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the foundation of the church. So whatever definition we put to the church, here's what we know. It has to involve the foundation of the church being on the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's not a a man like Peter or an office like the Pope. It is God building it on Jesus. His teaching, his life, his resurrection, the gospel. You with me? Good. All right. Turn in your Bibles now to Ephesians. We're working through Ephesians, so we've got to spend some time there. This is actually where we're going to spend the rest of our time together this morning. The book of Ephesians chapter 2, if you are in a pew Bible, that is page 674. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. So the, the household of God, that's verse 19 built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The first point here is, I think this one, which is that this one. I'm not sure which one we're doing. Yeah, it's built on and around Jesus. Verse 20 says that it is the church of Jesus Christ is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. This is the same thing that Jesus said in Matthew 16, that the church is built on Jesus. It's built on him. It's built around him. This rock, the cornerstone is upon which the, the church is being built is Jesus himself. This is how it worked. A couple of thousand years ago, Almighty God, eternal and immortal, added humanity to his divinity. He put on flesh. We call this the incarnation. He put on flesh as the man, Jesus of Nazareth. He lived like we should have lived, but didn't die the death we should have died and didn't. He spoke God's own words. He revealed God to humans. He died on the cross, was raised on the third day. And during this time, he commissioned... Men, apostles, prophets. As Jesus ascended into heaven, he commissioned men to take his message, the message of of the kingdom that he had been preaching from the beginning, into all the different parts of the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the parts of the earth. And so what these men would do is then they would go from place to place, plant churches. They would plant a church in this town, and in this town, and in this town, and they would preach, and they would teach people about Jesus. A few of those apostles got together, wrote some, some letters to these churches. These letters were then collected together a couple of centuries later and put together in one collection known as the very book that's in your lap, the New Testament. And so 
They built the church, the foundation of the apostles and prophets was given by God to them through Jesus and then given to the church, communicated to us in print in the New Testament scriptures. Are you with me? That's the foundation of the apostles and prophets. They built the church on the teaching, on the self-revelation of God in flesh, Jesus the Christ. This is why the guy who wrote Ephesians, Paul, says Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. A little bit of work on that. The, the word cornerstone is an important word, not because we name the church after that, that word, but, but why we name the church after that word. The, the cornerstone was, in those days, when they would build a, a structure, they would start with a foundation, which is the right place to start. You start with a foundation, and they would start with a cornerstone. It was the most important part of the entire structure. It was the foundation stone of, in a corner, and from that stone, they would fashion every other stone that would make up the foundation. So the cornerstone was the one that they looked to to give them the dimensions or whatever for their foundation. It was the most important part of the entire structure. The foundation of the building, and Jesus Christ himself was that foundation. So the metaphor means that Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the foundational stone upon which everything else is to be built. And so Paul is saying here in Ephesians 2.20 that the apostles and prophets built the foundation of the church on and around Jesus Christ. They fashioned it and molded it around the man, Jesus Christ. Notice how Paul says that Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. So the church is built on Jesus, but you you understand it's built on the man, Jesus. I think sometimes we assume that the church is built on the teachings of Jesus. Or maybe we assume that it's built on the work of Jesus. It's much more than both of those things. It's built on the person of Jesus, which includes the teaching and the work of Jesus. The entire church is built on a man, namely God's man, namely Jesus Christ. So the church itself is built on Jesus, which includes his teaching and his work, his life, his death, his resurrection, all that goes along with that. So what, all that to say that whatever we call the church, however we define what is the church, it has to be and must be built on and around Jesus Christ. There is no church outside of Jesus Christ. None. Church must be, at its most basic, Christ-centered. It must be about Jesus This is why in your handout for the last 17 weeks, I've not changed a thing about the four pillars that we have built this church on. The four pillars of this church are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, forming discipleship that forms Jesus in us, worship which exalts Jesus Christ, and service which is like Jesus Christ. Everything's about Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. So whatever, whatever this church does and is, it has to be based on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. There's no mistaking that point. 
Verse 21. So Jesus is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There's two phrases in here I want your, you to point your attention to. First is we are joined together. The second is that we are built together. So the church is built on Jesus Christ, and verse 21 tells us that it was joined together in Jesus Christ. I keep on telling you how important prepositions are, because it turns out your fourth grade English teacher was right after all. Prepositions are important. And here Paul says, with prepositions, the church is built on Jesus and joined together in Jesus. So starting to get some traction here about what is the church. The church is a people built on Jesus Christ, a community that is joined together or unified in Jesus Christ. Joined together. Joined together. I don't know if you noticed how this keeps coming up throughout Ephesians chapter 2. Unity. Oh, how so important Christian unity is. There is tremendous strength in unity and weakness when it is missing. I remember last spring near my house, I, I had a job where I had to drive to Indian Lake from where I live. And in Logan County, there was a farmer who was building a giant pole barn outside of his farm. And you've seen those really big, you know, pole barns that they put up to house farm equipment. And he's building this pole barn. And because I get to drive by it every day, I get to see it going up from the ground. And I get to see them do the foundation. And then I see them put together the walls. They put all the walls together with the two bys that are going on the outside to hold the walls up. And then they put the trusses on. And I'm just watching this every day. And one day I'm driving by this with my buddy, Ryan, and he, uh, we look over, we look at this pole barn being built, and, they, and they, they're putting the roof on. They had, they're not putting the metal siding on just yet. They're putting the roof on. And I didn't think anything of it because I've seen that done before where you build the roof first and then you put the siding on. And my buddy Ryan, who has a roofing company, knows something about roofing, he says, that's not a good idea. We're out here in the country. There's a lot of winds coming off the, off the, the, the ground. And, you know, if a big storm comes by, that's not a good idea. So we go about our day, and then a couple of days later, sure enough, there was a storm that came through. And we drive by, and this pole barn is not a pole barn, it's a pile of wood. That whole structure, the roof with the winds coming through on that storm had just demolished it, destroyed it, brought the whole thing down. And it was just splintered wood everywhere. A pile is nothing, it's not good for anything. And the reason was, they didn't put the siding on, just like Ryan said. Had they had metal siding on, it would have joined the walls together. It would have fastened them together and would have been able to withstand the crosswinds. The church is a little bit like this. When we are joined together, the crosswinds of adversity, the crosswinds of the, the culture can beat against the house and it won't be shaken because we're joined together by strength in Christ. You see how that works? God's, Paul says here in Ephesians 2 that we have been joined in Christ. And so part of what the church is, is a group of, of Christians who are joined together and being built together in Christ, growing together. Unity. Romans 15 
says that we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of those who are weak. An obligation. Galatians says that we are to bear one another up. And so don't miss this, brothers and sisters. When your brother or your sister fails, don't kick them when they're down. Reach down to them and pick them up and dust them off and lock arms with them and move forward. That's Christian unity. That's Christian community. We don't kick one another when we do wrong. We don't kick one another when we're down. Verse 22 says we are being built together. We're being built, meaning no one has arrived yet. No, it, it, I, maybe you've noticed this. It takes a while to build a Christian. Okay? Some of you, it takes a lot longer than others, but it takes a while to build a Christian. This takes a while. You've heard the saying that it takes 13 hours to build a Toyota and six months to build a Rolls Royce. It's, it's like that. You understand, um, there, when I was a kid, the, we used to sing this song. Uh, Dad, you'll remember this. We, we used to sing this song uh, called, He's Still Working on Me. And one of the lines in that song is um, something like, um, it took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. Uh, and oh, how busy he must be because he's still working on me. I think about that line sometimes because it illustrates something to me that God created the universe in six days, but it takes 2,000 years to build a church. So if time is any indication of worth, there you have it. It takes a while to build a Christian. And we're all coming to church today, and we'll all come to church next week at different levels. And far be it from any one of us to ever feel like I'm on this level, you're on this level, we are not equal, and therefore I'm greater or better or more special than you or loved by God in any way more. We are in this together, locking arms together, joined together in Christ. You see, Lord, you see, guys, that we being built together means that there's areas of your life where you are strong. God has made you strong in certain areas of your life in order that you might be able to reach out to those who are weak in that area and bring strength into that area, the strength which God supplies. You follow me? So some of you have been made strong in one area. Others are still struggling with that area. God has given you this strength so that you can bring that strength into that situation as a brother and sister in Christ, being joined together. It also means this. It also means that there are areas of your life where you are weak. And if you are humble enough to reach out to someone and say, bro, I'm struggling here. Can you help me? Can you pray with me? Can you get involved in my life? Can you incarnate into my life like Jesus did into mine? Can you come into my life and bring strength where you have and I have weakness? I don't, I don't know where this, I, this silly idea came from that you have to be completely put together in order to be an active member in a church. I don't know where we got that silliness from. You know what? There was only one human who was completely put together, and we murdered him. So it's not about getting put together and having everything in a row and being completely sinless, where every one of us is screwed up. We're all growing up in God together, and we draw strength from one another. 
Now, there, there, there needs to be some wisdom here. Because, you know, if, if, if I got a, a brother whose marriage is a wreck, his, his, his wife can't stand him, his, his kids won't speak to him, I'm probably not going to have that guy do premarital counseling, right? If you have an addiction to pain pills, I'm probably not going to have you sit down with an alcoholic. Probably not going to happen. Why? Because you match strength to weakness, not weakness to weakness, right? You don't match blindness to blindness, Blind leading, something about falling in a pit, right? That's what happens when blind people lead blind people. So you match strength to weakness, not weakness to weakness. This is how God has built this to work. One more thing before we move on to the next point. I've told you for weeks now that it's okay to not be okay. I just want us to all be all right with not being all right. But you know what's not okay? Not being okay and then acting like you are okay. That's not okay. When you're not okay and you lie and say that you are okay, that's not okay. The Bible has a word for that. It's called pride. The Bible has another word for that. It's called sin. Some repentance is required, right? We need to all come to a humble place of recognition that we're broken. We're all broken, every one of us. And uh, any sinner who walks in the room should be able to look right and left and say, uh, this guy's got my sin beat 10 to 1. But he's still here. And God still loves him. And he's still serving in Christian community. So it must be okay for me to be broken and admit that I'm broken and be, be all screwed up. Because sick people go to the hospital. And broken people come to the church. You don't get offended when you go to the hospital and you see sick people there, do you? And so why should we be offended when we come to church and we see broken people? This is where broken people go. To meet the Savior. So whatever the church is, it should be based on Jesus, built around Jesus, unified community of believers in Jesus, growing in the grace of God together. I don't know what happened to my PowerPoint. Maybe she can help me out. Bonnie, if you can help me out, or Steve, whomever. The fifth slide. Verse 21 again. This is what God is doing in us. Look for what God is doing in us. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. There it is. In whom you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul says you are a holy temple, a dwelling place for God. A holy temple and a dwelling place for God. So there's a reason he's doing this. He has a purpose in doing this. The church was founded on the person and work of Jesus, joined together in him, built up in him, being built into a holy temple, a dwelling place for God. Paul told the Ephesian church 2,000 years ago, he told the um, Athenians in Acts 17, that God doesn't live in a building, a temple, made by human hands. So, like, like God doesn't live here. He doesn't get his mail here at Cornerstone Piqua. Right? When, you, when we leave today, he's not kicking it with his homies in the back. He doesn't live here. He doesn't live in a building. Church is not a physical structure. 
that houses the presence of God. Paul is saying this, Jesus is building you and I together, his people, to be a holy temple, a dwelling place for God by his spirit. He dwells not in the church building in the church people. That's where he lives. God lives in you. If you are in Christ, you are a carrier of the presence of God. And this temple metaphor is extremely powerful. In the, in the old days, the temple was the place where people would come to, to meet the Lord, to have an encounter with the Lord. And the temple is not a physical location anymore, except that it's in you. You are God's temple. You are the dwelling place that God houses himself. Which means that you carry a missional purpose. You carry the very presence of God wherever you go. So the same fire by night, cloud by day, presence of God dwells in you. And when you go into the darkness of this present darkness, this world, you carry God's presence there. So tomorrow morning when you get up and you go to work at the office... You carry God's presence into that office. Tomorrow when you go to the factory, you carry God's presence. You are a representation of Jesus Christ in that factory. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you are a representative of Jesus Christ in your home to your children. Wherever you go, you are a representative, a carrier. God's chosen vessel is how Peter says it. To carry God's presence, his representation. And so it becomes critical, Cornerstone, how we approach issues of conflict, how we approach issues of mistreatment. It becomes critical how we think about things like Frustration in the workplace, stress in the workplace, relationships with people in the workplace, pressure in the workplace. You should represent Jesus well in the way you treat your spouse, in the way you treat your boss, in your work ethic. You are a representative of Jesus Christ, a Christ Ian, you carry his name. You carry his reputation. And so this is why, Cornerstone, holiness is so vital and important. Personal holiness is vital. Because you are a representative with the way that you carry yourself, with the words that you speak with the tone you use behind those words that you speak, with the way that you use money, with the way that you use your time, you are a representative of Jesus Christ. And the Bible calls us to live well. We are to be a holy temple.
a people dedicated to spreading and proclaiming the excellencies of Christ Jesus to be a worthy mouthpiece. Paul says elsewhere, walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So Ephesians 22.21 says, be a holy temple. Represent Jesus well. Plug yourself into Christian community. Read your Bible, get your nose in the Word, memorize some Scripture, be representatives on the earth, and rep your Savior well. Bonnie, if you can bring up the points of application, the very last, second to last slide, I think. Here, if you take out your connection card, a little bit that you tore off, here's your applications for the week. We end, we're ending things a little early this morning, and there's a reason for that, because here in a moment, when the video goes off, we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of housekeeping. But the, the three points I'll give you this week for, for you to work on, to kind of think through, to pray about is this. First, get built on Jesus. Get built on Jesus. Meaning, you, plug into a Bible reading plan. If you don't have a Bible reading plan, get one. If you, don't, if you, can't, if you have a hard time finding one, I'll give you mine. But get a Bible reading plan. Be intentional with your time in the Scriptures. Build your life on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Get your nose in the Scriptures. Set aside time in your day for prayer. Bring your list to the Lord and pray with the Lord. Study the Scriptures. I think it's important to read big chunks of Scripture, but I think it's equally important to read small bits of Scripture and just dig deep. In the coming weeks, I'm going to be holding a How to Study the Scripture class. So if you don't know, if you've never kind of like dug into the Scripture before, if you don't really know how to like unpack Scripture, we're going to have a class here. I'll tell you about it in a few weeks. We're going to have a class, and you'll be able to come in and learn just how to study the Scripture. So do that. Get your life built on Jesus. The second point of application for this week is to join a servant team. Here in a few minutes, we're going to talk about the different servant teams that, you know, we're launching. And you'll have the opportunity to just, to just join one, to say, hey, uh, Pastor, I'm, just, I'm willing to help out. I'm willing to do whatever, just to plug in to seeing Christ formed in, in one another and reaching out to the lost. You know, maybe you have a talent. Every one of you has some significant and unique talent that God has equipped you with, some strength that God has equipped you with that we need. Okay, this isn't about me just yelling at you on Sundays. This is about you plugging in together in Christian community, joining together, seeing Christ formed in one another, being built together. And the third one I want you to work on this week is to carry Jesus well. Let's step up our game in personal holiness. How about that? Let's take it to the next step. Isn't Jesus worthy of it? Isn't that what Jesus died for anyway? To remove sin from our life, not so that you can indulge in it? Isn't Jesus worthy that you get up in the morning and resolutely set your mind on pleasing Him with every moment of that day? Certainly you're going to fail. Certainly there's provision for that. That's why Jesus died. But Jesus died not so that you could continue to fail, but that when you do, you would be forgiven so that next time you won't fail. We need to step up our game in personal holiness so that when people look at you, they notice something different. 
They notice a different work ethic. They notice you carry yourself differently. They notice that you speak differently. Because you're representing Jesus. So rep him well. And Ephesians 2.22 is your memory verse. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a glory and honor it is that we get to serve you and love you and be your representation on the earth. Sobering, if I'm honest. Maybe a little terrifying. Lord, we're pretty lousy representatives of you most of the time. And so I ask by your spirit and your grace that you would equip us to step up our game in personal holiness. To be good representations of the God who died for our sin. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' praise.